Amen. How are you guys doing? Doing all right? Have you ever had Bibles? Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be continuing our freedom series. And I'll, I want to challenge you with, with really what has taken place over the last couple weeks. And in chapters 1 and 2, as we wrapped up last week, Paul had defended his authority. He was defending the ministry that he was taking part in. He really unpacked and laid forward a lot of things that were taking place. Paul had been challenged by what was called some Judaizers. They were people who believed in Jesus, but then were saying, hey, we need to go back to the law. We need to regress and go back and be obedient to what the law teaches us. We got to do those things. You have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so Paul really confronts that idea, and he 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 really challenges the status quo of what has taken place. And I'll, I want to challenge you with this today because I think this is something that has taken place in a lot of churches. And that's where we really got away from the gospel. We got into legalism. We got into the expectations that people had to live up to the law. They had to live up to the, the, the standard that was set up that really just reveals how bad we are. And I hope you get that. The law reveals how bad we are. It's the diagnosis, it's the, it's the diagnostic indicator that just shows you how bad you are. It shows you your problem, it shows you your flaw, it shows your weakness, your inadequacy and what you're able to do. And in chapters 3 and 4, Paul is really going to begin to defend what we talked about. And that's the justification, in other words, being made right, being made holy, being made righteous in God's sight happens by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's really what Paul is going to dig into and get to so that the people can understand that the Galatians, the people in Galatia could begin to understand what takes place. And you'll see today that my sermon is titled, Abandonment to Foolishness. Uh, and it's, it carries an idea that, that carries a weight of a number of things. But there's an abandonment that takes place when Paul is talking that Paul is going to show really how foolish we are when we begin to make it about works. All right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3 and listen to what he says. He says, you, what's he say? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And I would like to learn just one thing. He's kind of staying a a rhetorical question. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And then he says it again. Are you so foolish? Are you so crazy? Are you... Are you clueless of what's going on? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Verse 6, consider Abraham, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of who? Abraham, we sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so let's just praise the Lord, right? You got the picture, right? All right, so we won't go into that whole thing, but, but he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. You get that? 
They would be justified by faith and he announced the gospel prior to or in advance of Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law, listen, are under a what? You, well, let, me, let me read that one more time. All who rely upon or rely on observing the law are under a what? A curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So in other words, if you become a person who thinks it's about the law, if you don't do any part of it, you've failed at all of it. You can't live up to it. And so he lays that out. And then in verse 11, clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And he's referencing back to an Old Testament passage. And then he says this, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now this is gonna be a very difficult passage. We're gonna have to cover a lot of ground. I wanna unpack a lot of this stuff. But I want you to understand a number of things that have taken place. And really what Paul is saying is this. Anytime you abandon the gospel, you step into a realm of foolishness, a realm of stupidity. We used to have two teenage boys in our youth group down in Springfield. Kristen will know who it is. I'm not gonna say their names. But these kids were very bright. Matter of fact, they were, they were 3.75 GPA or above in high school. Very bright bright individuals, but when the two of them came together, they went from having two really smart brains to, I think, I'm not for sure they could even equate a half a brain together. It was crazy, the stuff they did. It was always that statement, ha ha, watch this, you know? They would do crazy things. I mean, one night we were getting ready to go on a mission trip, I get a picture texted to me, and they had taken a kid, they had saran wrapped him to the light pole, and then duct taped him up there. So this kid is like four feet off the side. or Like, that's great. <laughs> um, they, they did so many crazy things. And we laugh about it. And it, it really is a joke. But it was funny how two brains became less than one brain when they came together. And they had abandoned what they knew should be true for foolishness. They thought, well, I'll just do it because it'll be cool. I'll do it because people will laugh. I'll do it because it's going to get a rise out of people. It's going to get people to, to joke and have fun. And the funny thing was, is a lot of times you're going, good grief, you guys are dumber than a box of rocks. And the reality is what Paul is going here is, listen, you foolish Galatians, you hear what he's saying? How could you understand and experience the grace of Christ? How could you understand and grow in and, and see that Jesus' death on the cross was for you and then run back to the law like you had to get the law to be right? And here's the reality, and, and, and part of it kind of comes into light today with everything that's taken place over the last couple of days with the Supreme Court ruling, but I want you to understand this. Paul is coming at it from a sense of love. All right, I, I kind of use this, sometimes Ethan does some things, and, and here's what I said. What the heck are you doing, bonehead? You know, you, you didn't think through that. Well, uh, I, uh, 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 you know, it's like, 
I wasn't thinking. And that's really what Paul's saying. Hey, hey, boneheads, foolish people, you people who experienced Christ and now are running back to the traditions and thought processes and everything that takes place, you guys got to wake up. And here is the reality. Love today in our culture is all about what's good in us, but we don't want anyone to engage what's wrong with us. The minute somebody engages the wrong problems, the minute someone engages the sin or the struggles or the difficulties, anytime we get into that, people will go, well, hey, hold on a second. You've overstepped your bounds. You no longer love me. You hate me. You're a bigot. You're, you're confronting what is wrong with me and you're not telling me things that are beneficial for me. And the reality for that is for some people to engage what's wrong with us is really to be viewed as unloving. When people stand up and engage in a conversation or disagree with a lifestyle or an action of a person, a lot of people go, well, that, you're just an unloving bigot. You're, you're, you're breeding hate and discontent. And Paul, what Paul is saying is, look, hey, sometimes love means you gotta call a spade a spade. You gotta call a fool a fool. You gotta call a person out on the carpet for what they have done. And realize here, I want you to understand this, Paul is addressing Christian believers, people who claimed Christ. Paul is going, hey, wake up. You've ran into a false gospel that really, remember if we go back to Galatians chapter one, really is no gospel at all. And so to some people, for some, they see someone you love and you see them get off track and you see them heading down the wrong way, down a one-way street. And if you're yelling, hey, whoa, 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 you're going the wrong way, people are gonna say, well, you're unloving. When in reality, what you're trying to do is save somebody from destruction. Save someone from getting into a wreck, causing hurt and chaos and destruction and doing nothing. And what I've come to understand is really the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is an indifference. The opposite of love is not hate. Because the opposite of love, I mean, hate, hate is the complete absence of love. The opposite of love, though, if you claim to be a person of love and you don't speak truth, or you don't stand on truth, the opposite of love is indifference. In other words, the reality would be this in some Christians' lives. If you know somebody's lost, dying, going to hell, and you remain indifferent because you go, I I just, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I I don't wanna give up my friendship for that. The opposite of indifference, or the opposite of love is indifference. So instead of saying, hey, let me share Christ with you, you just say, well, uh, you know, I'll just remain indifferent. Maybe at some point somebody will do that. So the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's a lack of care and compassion. And so here's the main theme I want you to get today from these verses in chapter three. It's the main point. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. Turning to anything other than the gospel of Jesus is foolish on our part. Turning to anything other than the gospel of Jesus is foolish on our part. Part. So the question today is this, what are we to remember to stay focused on the gospel? Because if we turn to anything else other than that, then we show our foolishness. But if, if we're to stay focused on the gospel, what do we have to do? Listen to this. Number one, I believe, is this. We have to remember Christ on the cross. Listen to what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as what? Crucified. Listen to what he's saying. You foolish Galatians really reflects the combination of 
to a certain extent, anger and love. When Ethan steps out of line or when Ethan does something crazy, deep down there is a, a sense of anger. There's a sense of frustration, all right? But there's a sense of love too. So when I correct him, I'm telling him, hey, look, you, you got out of line. There's a, there's a sense of love. And so Paul is trying to say, look, I'm upset with what you're doing. You're trying to run to a gospel that is no gospel at all. You're trying to run towards good news. And that good news is this fact that people are trying to say, hey, you gotta be, have faith in Christ, but you also got to obey the law. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not, that's not the gospel. You got to be circumcised. You got to, you got to follow the ceremonial and ritualistic idea of the law. And Paul says, no way. And so what he says is this, you foolish Galatians. And I want you to understand what he's saying when he says foolish Galatians. What he's saying is he, he's more or less shocked. He can hardly believe what the Galatians are believing in. In other words, the Greek idea even carries this. It carries the, the attitude or the idea of a wrong attitude of the heart. So when Paul says you're foolish, what he's saying is you've got a wrong attitude in your heart. Foolish doesn't mean some sort of mental deficiency, but rather, listen, a mental laziness or carelessness. You ever let your mind wander? Especially men. Men, men you get off into the, your, your no zone, your, your, you know, your, your nothing box, and your wife goes, what are you thinking about? And you go, nothing. And your wife goes, how can you think about nothing? There's got to be something there. It's a mental laziness, is it not? It's like, I'm not thinking about anything. You know, the joke, the old adage is, well, can I come to your nothing box? No, because then it's something. It would be nothing if you're in it, or it won't be nothing if you're in it. You can't come in this box. And wives get frustrated because they're going, what the heck? I don't have a nothing box. And that's because you're just complicated. All right, but, but I want you to understand this. There's this idea that Paul is trying to get across. Foolish does not mean a mental deficiency. It means they become mentally lazy or carelessness or, or, or an act of carelessness. And the Galatian believers, listen, they were not stupid and Paul knew that. They simply failed to use, listen, their spiritual intelligence when faced with an unscriptural, gospel-destroying teaching of the Judaizers. They were trying to add something to the gospel. And Paul says, look, you guys have given into, you've let the mental laziness or the carelessness overwhelm you to the point where you're not focused on the gospel, you're focused on the law. And when you focus on the law, you're gonna miss the point of what is being shown. And so they followed, listen, their whims and their impulses rather than God's revealed truth and they abandoned the gospel. I mean, you think about that. The reality of what takes place when you have to stand up against tradition. All right, let's talk about that. When you have to stand up against tradition, that's a tough road to battle. I mean, anybody try and change a family tradition and have everybody throw a fit? You know, hey, we're not gonna have Christmas at such and such's house. It's going over here this year. What? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare. You know, I remember, I, and I'll speak for my own family. Every Christmas, we had Christmas Eve at my grandparents' house. We would go over, we'd eat dinner, then we'd go to Christmas Eve candlelight service, then we'd go back to my grandparents' house, and we'd open all the presents from all the aunts and uncles and everybody else, grandparents. And then in the morning, Christmas morning, we'd open our presents at home for mom and dad and stuff like that. And I remember, I'm, I'm trying to remember when it happened. I, Anyways, I just remember when all of a sudden, you know, all my aunts and uncles started having their grandkids, and all of a sudden, nobody was going to my grandparents' house. 
And I'll, I'll stand by it. My mom will tell you. My mom called me up. She said, can you believe it? We're not having Christmas at grandma's house. And I remember going, okay. I mean, I kind of am going to miss that thing. But I mean, I understand. All my aunts and uncles, they got all their grandkids. And my parents, they got their grandkids. The difference is our family, my parents, all their kids live somewhere else. <laughs> so for my mom, it was a big one. And when you fight tradition, that's exactly what's taking place. And Paul is stepping up, listen, against a Jewish tradition and law that had been around for years. Not decades. I'm talking hundreds of years. And Paul begins to combat that with the gospel and say, hey, here's the gospel. And so I want you to understand this. When he references them as foolish, he literally is carrying that idea that he's like, hey, I love you, but you've given into a carelessness. You've gotten mentally lazy. And then I want you to also understand what he says. He says, who has, what's he say? Who has what? Bewitched you. The Galatians is what he said is they were literally bewitched. And what that carries is this idea that they had been charmed or fascinated or misled by flattery or false promise. They were misled to believe something else. And so they were charmed. They were deceived to believe something else. And Paul goes on and he says, before you. In other words, hey, foolish Galatians, you guys got mentally lazy. You were deceived. You were misled by people who promised you something that they have no power over. And he wants them to know, listen, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. So the death of Christ is what literally carries the weight of the gospel. That's what brings good news about. And the term for crucified, I want, I want to give you this. I'm not big on sharing you all kinds of Greek terms and stuff like that, but I'll always give you this. The term for crucified carries a meaning of historical fact that has continuing results. So Jesus' death on the cross is something that happened once, but has a continual result throughout history. It's the way the verb is presented through the text that carries that meaning or that mentality. And Jesus' literal death on the cross is what covers it. So what are we to remember to stay focused on the gospel? Remember Christ on the cross. Don't give in to a mental laziness. Don't give in to a carelessness. Don't be bewitched by people who will promise things. I'll even throw this out there. There are people on TV, certain pastors will say, hey, If you send me the 20 bucks, I'll pray over it and you'll be healed. Don't be bewitched. Don't be misled. The reality is, for some people, they're just going to use it as a way to pad pockets. The gospel says that Christ has done it all. And if the gospel has saved you, why would you return to the law? That's why Paul's saying, why be foolish? Why would you return to the law? If the gospel is what saved you, why return to the law? Because the law requires works of human achievement while the gospel requires faith in Christ's achievement. Anybody ever fail at anything? Fail a test, fail an eye exam, you know, whatever it is. You ever fail? You ever get in a car wreck, ever make a mistake? You failed, right? What he's saying is put your faith and trust in what? The one that doesn't fail. Put your faith and trust in the one who is going to live for you, the one who lived for you, the one who died for you and now lives. Put your faith and trust in that. Don't rely upon your obedience to good deeds because the law will fail you. The law will not, you won't be able to live up to it. Number two, what are we to remember to stay focused on the gospel? I believe this, remember you have the Holy Spirit. 
There is in some way, shape, or form, somehow got this mentality within the church culture and some denominations that you have to do something to get the Holy Spirit. Like you start to speak in tongues, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Or you give so much money, then you receive the Holy Spirit. And the reality is what the Bible says. Listen, verse 2, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law? In other words, by obeying the law, did you receive the Holy Spirit? No. No, none of that. And you don't receive the power of the Spirit because you obey the law. You receive the power of the Spirit because of your faith in Christ. And so Paul is saying this. Hey, where were you when you found, when Christ found you? Think about where you were. When Jesus found you, where were you? Were you trying to do good things? Maybe. Most of the time where you were was you were at your rock bottom end. You were at a point where you saw, I have no other hope. I need Christ. Christ is the one who died for my sins. He's the one who paid the penalty that I couldn't pay. He is the one who lives up to the law and does the law for me because I can't live up to the law. Remember we said the law is the diagnostic tool. It identifies your problem. Go home and try and live by the law. Even the, just the Ten Commandments. Let's throw the, just the Ten Commandments. Go home and live by them. And then read the New Testament when Jesus says... Anybody who's looked at a woman lustfully, you violated the law. Uh-oh. Anyone who hates a neighbor, you violated the law. Anyone who has anything else that you've put above God violates law. Anybody skip church because you were on vacation? Said, oh, you know, I'm just, now I'm not trying to be legalistic here, but do you ever violate the law? You can't live up to it, can you? And it seems like such a defeating thing. And what it should be is the reality is this. Every time you realize that you violated the law, should point you right back to Christ and say, thank you, Jesus, because I know I can't live up to the law. Jesus lived up to the law for me. Jesus' death on the cross makes it possible so that I am seen as righteous, whereas without Christ, I can't do that. And so remember, you have the Holy Spirit. So did God reveal his delight in you because you did something? Or does God reveal his delight in you because of what you have put your faith and trust in? When you put your faith and trust in Christ, then Christ gives you the Holy Spirit. Remember, you have the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, if you can jump over, I'm going to give you this. I don't want to spend any time necessarily jumping into it. But I want to give you Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 16. Go and check that out and read it. And listen, let it kind of soak into you about the power of the Holy Spirit and how you receive it. But I want you to understand this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the believer's most unmistakable evidence of God's favor, his greatest proof of salvation, and a guarantee of eternal life. So when you sin... When you treat somebody like trash, when you realize you got out of line, yesterday we were at a baseball game. It's the last baseball game, and I'm very competitive. And I told our boys, don't watch strike three go by. You swing, not going to have a problem. You don't swing, we're going to have problems. (laughs) And three in a row, bang, 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 and my son was one of them. And as he was coming back, a complete accident, but at the same time, it was my competition level. Bases loaded. We got two outs. My son's up to bat. I want him to get a base hit. If he gets a base hit, we got runs coming in. It's going to be great. Stands there and watches strike three. And I'm like, what are you doing? You sat there and watched strike three. 
And as he's going by, I went, whack, and I hit him in the head with the helmet on. Not, didn't mean to hit him hard, but it was just one of those things we were walking by, and kind of, poof, and it was like, uh-oh. And I knew I was wrong. I knew right away. It's like, oh, you're out of line. And I mean, I got all the team together. I went, look, I was completely unacceptable in that, all right? It was my fault. You know what that's called? It's called conviction. It's called the Holy Spirit. And some people can say, well, yeah, you know, if you were just a nice person, you would have that. That's not true. The Holy Spirit convicts you when you've done something wrong, when you treat somebody bad, when you don't love people the way Christ will love them. So remember, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, listen, is not the goal of the Christian life. It's the source of the Christian life. If you want to be obedient to Christ, you have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. You have to feed the Spirit. You know, when I was uh, a volunteer youth pastor down in Springfield or volunteer youth worker, uh, Doug Bischoff, our old pastor, would say this, old youth pastor. He would say, you have to starve the flesh and feed the Spirit. And that's the reality in most people's world. You have to starve the flesh. In other words, the things that the flesh desires, and you have to feed the Spirit. You know how you feed the Spirit? You spend more time in God's Word. How do I know what to say when people question me? How do I know what to say when people are looking for answers? I had a a kid last week at camp. I'm walking up the hill, and it's kind of one of those shocking things. It's like, wait. But he turns to me. He goes, hey, you know, I'm doing this whole camp thing. I'm not really into this Jesus stuff. And he goes, tell me a little bit more about Jesus. And, and of course, I'm going, wait, what? Like, cut me off guard because I'm going, you're at youth camp, and you're like, you're not into this Jesus thing. And so we start sharing the gospel. I'm, I'm sharing with him. And he's like, hey, he, you know. And I'm just walking up this hill. And we walk up to the end of camp. And he goes, are you staying up here in the dorm? I'm like, no, I figured you were staying up here. I'm just walking with you, sharing the gospel. And he goes, oh, well, about that. I'm a Christian. I just wanted to see how you'd respond to me. And I'm like, sweet. He goes, I like to share Christ with my friends. I wanted to see how you would do it. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, okay. (laughs) And he goes, so far you've given me the best answer. Some people had no clue. And can I tell you something about that? You know what happens? I didn't have my Bible with me. I had nothing with me. It's called the Spirit giving you the words to speak so that you can answer them and give them hope. And that's the reality of what you begin to have to do. You have to remember that the Holy Spirit is the source of life. It's not the goal. He's not the product of faithful living, but he's the power behind it. Listen to that. He is not the product of faithful living. He is the power behind it. If you want to remain faithful to what God has called you to do, you want to remain faithful to the gospel, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to do it. A higher level of lifting, more obedience to law, doesn't provide more of the Spirit. Rather, submission to the Holy Spirit brings a higher level of living. You want to treat people right? Rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit change you. Let the Spirit convict you. Let the Spirit guide you in how you treat people. Just what we prayed earlier. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And the sad thing is, amongst social media and things that I've been watching, it bothers me the way people responded over this choice. 
You will not, I cannot allow the Supreme Court of the United States to allow me to dictate or to, allow, to dictate to me how I respond in my relationship with God. But I can tell you one thing. My relationship with God will always dictate how I respond to those who are far from Christ. And the reality is, my relationship to God should force me, show me, allow me, and give me the opportunity to love people regardless. Why? Because the battle is not against flesh and blood. The battle is against Satan and what he wants to continue to work. And I'm not so sure that persecution in the church isn't a good thing in the United States. It's honestly separating the wheat from the weeds. Real believers are starting to step up. And the people who have played church for so long are starting to step out. And I'm not so sure that's a good thing. Because we're in a world and a culture, especially down south to a certain extent, where we got this Bible Belt mentality that I'm not so sure is the best thing. Because what has become commonplace is I can go to church and I don't have to stand on the gospel because I'm just all about doing the good things and going to church. The gospel is a life-changing, life-altering thing. And when you receive the Spirit, the idea is that the Spirit wants to take you to a higher level of living, to be more obedient to the law, doesn't provide more of the Spirit, but rather submission to the Holy Spirit brings about that higher level of living. So remember, you have the Holy Spirit. Number three, remember God's supernatural power. Look at verse five. He says this. Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? Or because you believe what he heard. Remember, God has supernatural power that he can take care of things. When we quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, where do you get that power from? The Holy Spirit. Who gives it to you? God. God gives you the power to do things. God unleashes his power in certain circumstances and situations that are supernatural. Listen, he, he says that. Does God give you a spirit or what? Work miracles because you believe the law or because you believe what you heard? So there's two realms that take place. There's this idea of miracle workers. There's this idea that God works out miracles. Those are supernatural occurrences that all you can do is look and go, that's a God thing. Maybe it's a supernatural healing, cancer. It happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen. I've known people who've been believers for 40 some years. Died. Matter of fact, one of our better family friends died a couple weeks ago. We, we led their small group. We led their teenagers. Good grief. They were, they were in seventh grade. They're now in their mid-twenties. <laughs> we led their kids in family group. And the wife died. Was it because she was unfaithful? No. No. For some reason, God chose but God can work miracles. God can heal. He does it all the time. We don't see it necessarily like we always thought we used to or, or maybe in the past have happened. But the Father, listen, the Father Spirit is given power working in him. He gives the power to the Holy Spirit. He gives it to us so we can gain hope. And he literally lays that out. Does God give you a spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law? No. It's because you believe what you heard. Number four. I got to rush through these. 
I feel like it. But number four, listen, remember your faith in Christ saves you. Verses six through nine, there's a lot to unpack, but I want to unpack this. Abraham was not saved, listen, was not saved by obedience to the law and works, but rather by faith. Verse six, consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does Abraham believe? He believed God. He didn't believe in the law. The, the fact of the matter is God makes this promise long before the law was ever given. The law was given when? Anybody know? What part of the Bible? Exodus. Abraham's Genesis chapter 12. So what happened to all those people before the law? Huh? What happens to them? Abraham was credited as being righteous, not because of his obedience to the law, but because of his faith in God. He had a faith in the one who was to come, and in his faith and in that promise was given to him. He was given salvation by God. Listen to John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Quit looking, listen, quit looking at how you measure up and don't measure up and rather turn your eyes on Christ who measures up fully because that's where freedom and joy are. Freedom and joy are in Christ, not in how you measure up or don't measure up to the law, the traditions and standards that everybody seems to think take place. In verse seven, it literally says this, the sons of Abraham, understand then that those who believe are children of who? Abraham. We just sang that song. Those who believe are children of Abraham. So listen, for 400 years before the law existed, the gift that was going out to you and me was the gift of faith in Christ. The idea that he says this, he believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Understand those that believe or who believe are children of Abraham. And then he says in verse eight, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, the literal statement is that. All nations will be blessed through you. Why? Because through Abraham's lineage, through the seed becomes Jesus. And how are all nations blessed? Or how are all people blessed? Through Christ. Christ presents the opportunity for Jews and Greeks to be saved. And that's literally what he unpacks So remember, it's your faith in Christ that saves you, and that's the reality of what took place. See, all our sins, past, present, future, are absorbed in Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, we have a tendency like the Galatians, listen, to forget and become foolish. We move on to trying to do things, to make God more proud or more happy, to maybe he'll accept me more, when the reality is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is all you need. And then remember the role of the law. I'm gonna wrap up real quick with these things. I know we're rushing through this, but I wanna get through this. Remember the role of the law. Look at verses 10 through 13. Those who relied on the works of the law were reminded that they must keep, listen, all of the law without exception. If you can't keep the law, you're cursed. You're a sinner. And what the law does is show that you can't keep the law. Listen, all who rely on observing the law are under a what? Curse. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And then I love verse 11 because that's the promise that is made. No one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by what? Faith. Faith in who? Faith in Christ. Faith in the fact that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was enough that covers my sins. It allows me to walk in obedience. It allows me to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be obedient to what he's called, to live a higher standard, to be raised up and to walk in obedience to him. That's the reality. So remember the role of the law. The role of the law is always to show you how bad you are, how bad I am. And as you read the Old Testament and you start to realize that, you should realize, oh, That's the more and more and more of why I need Christ. Because Christ becomes the law for me. Christ becomes the curse. Listen to what he says in verse 12. The law is not based on faith. Contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And it says, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus' death on the cross was the curse, but the promise of life and life more abundantly is, is fulfilled in his resurrection. So Jesus was cursed. Jesus bears the weight and the sin of the world. Jesus rises again, defeating that curse, defeating the hopelessness, defeating the sin, and he offers us life and life more abundantly. And the last thing, and it's really a re-emphasis of the faith in Christ, but I want you to remember this, the redemption through Christ. How do we stay focused on the gospel? Remember that you are redeemed through Christ. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse And then it says in verse 14, he redeemed us, listen, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through who? Through Jesus Christ. Abraham, the promise I made you that I will make you a great nation and all the people on earth will be blessed through you, that comes through the fulfillment of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That comes through the promise that Christ's death on the cross was the final payment and that's the fulfillment of the promise that was made. And so he redeemed us in order that the blessing, the promise, the covenant made with Abraham might come to, listen, the Gentiles. And if you're not Jewish here today, that should be great news to you. Because Jesus' death on the cross was not just for Jewish people, was not just for the Israelites, not just for the Hebrews. Jesus' death on the cross was open to everybody. So if you are a Greek, if you are of of that order, you are not Jewish in any way, shape, or form, this is the promise, this is the hope. And then he says this, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. By my faith in Christ, I receive the promise of the Spirit so that I have hope, that I can live. Listen, now I can live to the higher standard. See the difference, all right? Not living up to the law because I can never live up to law, but I can live up to, listen, listen to this. Because of the Spirit, I can live up to the standard that Christ has called me to. Why? Because I am now embedded with, I am in, I am owned by I am filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So now, listen, I don't look at the law and say, well, I don't have to listen to the law. I look at the law and go, the law shows my sinfulness. The law shows my disgust, my torture, my shame, my arrogance. And what it does is the Spirit comes in and now what do I want to do? 
The Spirit fills me and I want to live in obedience to Christ. So I don't run headlong into sin. What do I want to do? I want to run from sin. I want to be obedient to Christ. See, what happens is a lot of people go, well, Brian, wait a second. You're, you're preaching against the law. Yeah. Yeah. Because the gospel trumps the law. And when I have the gospel, when I have the good news of Jesus Christ and I put my faith and trust in Christ and the spirit fills me, you know what it is? Deep down inside, you know what that spirit wants? That spirit wants obedience to God. Not obedience to tradition or law, obedience to God. And so deep down inside, I know based upon conviction, I know based upon actions that I dish out to other people, I know that when that spirit goes, ding, 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 hey, you're being stupid. You're being foolish. You're trying to run back somewhere else that you don't need. You should be running to Christ. And the spirit says, the more you run to Christ, the more you take in of Christ, the more you're gonna treat people like Christ, the more you're gonna reflect the glory of Christ, the more you're gonna speak the truth of Christ, the more you're gonna bear the weight of the gospel and you're gonna live out a Christ-like life. That is the abandonment of the law into life, rather the abandonment of the gospel into foolishness. So here's what I want to do because I know I'm over. I want to close very simply with this and it's a prayer that I hope you understand releases us, each one of us. It releases us into the ministry field or the mission field that God has called us to whether you're bagging groceries at Aldi, working behind a counter at Ford, a pastor, a truck driver, whatever it is you're doing, God has called you to take the gospel. Listen, the gospel, not law. The gospel, the promise of life, the promise of hope, the promise of forgiveness of sins to those that we come into contact with on a daily basis. Let's pray and you'll be dismissed. Father, God, it is no light thing to stand up and to preach your word, to dig into it and understand it. But God, today it can be an overwhelming thing as well, understanding that God, the law just diagnoses the problem. And as long as we try and run to the law, we run into foolishness, we run into carelessness, we run into a a, a mental instability really in, in the spiritual sense. And what we should be doing is running to Christ. We should be running to you. We should be running to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so when we put our faith in Christ, being that author and that perfecter, he gives us the spirit. And as he gives us that spirit, God, we know that it's not the desire to live up to the law. It's the desire to live up to the high standard that the spirit, as he lives in us and moves in us and breathes in us, challenges us to step up to the standard. As I think about, we are a a royal priesthood, a holy nation in the book of Peter. And what that says, God, that we don't run headlong into sin, but when we run headlong into you, into a relationship with you, that we fill our lives with more of Christ and more of your word, because why? We're starving the flesh and we're feeding the spirit. 
And as a result of that, the Spirit groans and it longs for us to live up to a higher standard, the standard that God has called us to be obedient to. That we would love those who seem unloving, who maybe in a way, shape, or form that we face today in American church culture, maybe would, we would consider would persecute us. But God, today I pray that we would stand on the truth of the gospel, that we would love built upon the gospel, that the truth of Christ would invade our heart and that would speak truth into us and that the spirit would convict us where we have stepped out of bounds. And here's how I want to dismiss. Before I say amen, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you have some questions, maybe you even doubt some things that maybe you heard today and you're like, oh, hold on a second. I'm going to be up here at the end. I'm I'm going to stay up here up front. And I just want you to come up and see me. You can ask any question you want. We can have some dialogue, some discussion. If you're a believer, I just want you to know you're dismissed into the mission field. You are released to take the truth of the gospel to those who have never heard or maybe never responded. Jesus, today, would you let us experience your power? Would your spirit convict us of sin? But God, also convict us and show us how we can love and love others who have never responded to the gospel, never responded to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.